This is Age of Treason Radio. With your host, Tan Stoffel. The White Race and Its Discontents The war on whites was in the Jews media again earlier this month and for most of this month. In the first week of the month, Trump was in Europe for a meeting of the G20, a forum for uh, the post-World War II international Jew world order. And before that meeting, Trump gave a speech in Poland. And during that speech, he talked about our civilization and the West. He mentioned our civilization 10 times and the West 11 times. He also mentioned Nazis five times. It caused Jews and other non-whites to immediately express very explicit anti-white hostility. Early on in the speech, Trump mentioned and hinted that his view of history is the Jewish view of history when he said, Under a double occupation, the Polish people endured evils beyond description. The Katyn Forest Massacre, the occupations, the Holocaust, the Warsaw Ghetto and the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, the destruction of this beautiful capital city, and the deaths of nearly one in five Polish people. A vibrant Jewish population, the largest in Europe, was reduced to almost nothing after the Nazis systematically murdered millions of Poland's Jewish citizens, along with countless others, during that brutal occupation. Yeah, countless others. They're, they don't really count in the, uh, the Jew version of history. Later, uh, toward the end of his speech, Trump concluded by saying, The fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive Do we have the confidence in our values to defend them at any cost? Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? We can have the largest economies and the most lethal weapons anywhere on earth, but if we do not have strong families and strong values, then we will be weak and we will not survive. Skipping ahead a little bit, he says, Our own fight for the West does not begin on the battlefield. It begins with our minds, our wills, and our souls. Our freedom, our civilization, and our survival depends on these bonds of history, culture, and memory. I declare today for the world to hear that the West will never, ever be broken. Our values will prevail, our people will thrive, and our civilization will triumph. It sounds actually like pretty inspiring stuff relative to what we've been hearing from U.S. presidents and European leaders for the past uh, almost a century, uh, but certainly ever since the end of World War II. Uh, This is uncommon compared to those other uh, leaders. 
And the reaction from uh, the Jews media uh, is a an explanation why it's been so uncommon, and um, and that the negativity and the source of that hostility is an indication why. Although Trump only talked about our civilization in very vague terms and uh, the West, which is a fairly vague term, those things were interpreted immediately by non-white anti-whites as meaning white, as, as equating to white. Probably the the best example of this was an article by uh, Peter Beinart, a Jew who was writing in the Atlantic. I'll quote a few little bits here from his uh, piece. It was titled, The Racial and Religious Paranoia of Trump's Poland Speech. He published this later the same day that Trump gave the speech. In his speech in Poland on Thursday, Donald Trump referred ten times to, quote, the West, unquote, and five times to, quote, our civilization, unquote. His white nationalist supporters will understand exactly what he means. It's important that other Americans do, too. So, Beinart is uh, setting himself up here as an explainer. He's going to juice-plain what this means to the readers who aren't white. The West is a racial and religious term. To be considered Western, a country must be largely Christian, preferably Protestant or Catholic, and largely white. Where there is ambiguity about a country, about a country's Westernness, it is because there is ambiguity about or tension between these two characteristics. What he's trying to say there, basically couching it in terms of Christianity, is the ambiguity comes if the uh, to the extent the country itself is ambiguously racially white. Beinart continues, The most shocking sentence in Trump's speech, perhaps the most shocking sentence in any presidential speech delivered on foreign soil in my lifetime, was his claim that the, quote, fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive, unquote. On its face, that's absurd. Jihadist terrorists can kill people in the West, but unlike Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union, they cannot topple even the weakest European government. Jihadists control no great armies. Well, that's absurd. <laughs> Toppling a government doesn't necessarily threaten the survival of the people under that government. In fact, the toppling of a government can be exactly because the people want to survive. They topple their own government. So, Beinart's point on that count is absurd, or at least seems so on its face. And his claim about the jihadists controlling no great armies, why do they need armies? I mean, what we're seeing with the uh, so-called refugee crisis in Europe is that completely unarmed civilians are able to walk right into Europe, are carried into Europe by Jew-run, Jew-directed NGOs, picking them up right off the shore of, of Libya, or helping them ashore uh, on the coasts of uh, Greece and, and other European countries. It's uh, And lobbying for their 
arrival, lobbying for them to be welcomed within the very governments that supposedly run uh, those European countries. It's the Jews opening the gates to these invaders. They don't need weapons. They don't need to be organized as armies. And they will end the survival of the people of Europe, literally, by breeding out Europeans. Beinart continues, Trump's sentence only makes sense as a statement of racial and religious paranoia. So you see what Beinart's doing here is he's interpreting what Trump said and he's telling us what it means. He's projecting his own understanding of what Trump was trying to say and and presenting it as if it is the understanding, the, the correct understanding. The South and the East only threaten the West's survival if you see non-white, non-Christian immigrants as invaders. They only threaten the West's survival, quote-unquote survival, if by the West you mean white Christian hegemony. A direct line connects Trump's assault on Barack Obama's citizenship to his speech in Poland. In Trump and Bannon's view, America is at its core Western, meaning white and Christian, or at least Judeo-Christian. The implication is that anyone in the United States who is not white and Christian may not truly be American, but rather than an imposter and a threat. And finally, he concludes here, America is racially, ethnically, and religiously diverse. So when Trump says being Western is the essence of Americans' identity, or America's identity, he's in part defining America in opposition to some of its own people. He's not speaking as the president of the entire United States. He's speaking as the head of a tribe. This is a pretty classic uh, Jews media, Jew speak, when... Um, you know, it, it sounds like double talk. What um, what this tribalist Jew is saying is is that Trump's engaging in tribalism, and that that's bad. And he's not lying about that, really. He's he's basically saying that Trump's white tribalism, the tribalism he inspires, perhaps in whites, is bad for his tribe. In fact, Beinart's criticism of Trump's speech only makes sense as a statement of racial and religious paranoia. He was projecting his own paranoia, his own racial understanding of things, onto Trump. Beinart is shocked to hear words like survival and put sneer quotes around them because he understands it to mean white racial survival. He understands it is his own tribe which poses a threat to white survival. Thus, he interprets any concern for white survival as an implicit threat to his own tribe. We know it's racial because Beinart tells us it is. We know that it's paranoia because Beinart ignores the fact that the speech was actually written by a Jew, Stephen Miller. In fact, he tries to misdirect attention and blame for the speech onto Steve Bannon, who he knows isn't a Jew. And he also ignores, Beinart does, that the speech was delivered by Trump, who's a conservative. 
who, like all the other supposed neo-Nazi racist white supremacists in his administration, actually regularly and explicitly praises the Jews. And in this very speech, actually uh, expressed their view of history, a view of history that's antipathetic to whites and sympathetic to Jews. That, you know, Trump never speaks directly for or even about whites in any positive way. He won't even use the word white. When he says us and our civilization, he actually does imagine that that us includes the non-whites, the anti-whites, who instinctively distrust and despise him. And they despise him because they see him as white, and they distrust and despise whites as a race. They hate anyone who supports Trump more than they hate Trump. Another response in the Jews media came from Jamel Bowie, and that was published in uh, Slate. Bowie is black and is married to a white woman, or possibly a Jewess, it's not clear. His response was very similar to Beinart's, not nearly as um, uh, well stated, but uh, let me quote a little bit from him. To the extent he does have an ideology, he's talking about Trump, it's a white American chauvinism and its attendant nativism and racism. It was the core of his, quote, birther, unquote, crusade against Barack Obama. So he's, here's Bowie is uh, echoing the point that Beinart made. Uh, the claim that for reasons of blood and heritage, Obama couldn't be legitimate. Uh, with sneer quotes around uh, legitimate. And the pitch behind his campaign for president, and uh, the, the I guess uh, Trump's pitch behind his campaign for president, Trump would restore American greatness by erasing the racial legacy of Obama's presidency, the Hispanic immigration, the Muslim refugees, the black protesters. This, like Beinart, Bowie is projecting his own racial interpretation and his own racial hostility toward Trump and the positions that Trump expresses, even though they're not explicitly pro-white in any way. Just he he understands them as code, as as um, dog whistles to whites, as many other critics were very similar to their reactions were very similar to uh, both Beinart and Bowie. Uh, I think this represents pretty well the spectrum. We have the the anti-white Jew and the anti-white black and both saying very similar things for similar reasons, projecting their own racial understanding of the world around them onto Trump. But the weird thing about Bowie, and it's not so weird really, it's not hard to understand, he's a house nigger that works for Jews. In his own piece, rather than just focusing on his own black grievances, he actually presented Jew grievances as if they were his own. And he linked approvingly to some Jew in Haaretz, uh, Jewish 
newspaper complaining that uh, Trump was, quote, erasing victims of the Pol- of Polish anti-Semitism. In other words, because Trump, although he talked about the Holocaust and the poor Jews and what happened to them, that he didn't talk about how it was the Poles that were just as guilty as the Germans. In other words, you know, this is, as I pointed out before, when you listen to what the Jews have to say about the Holocaust, they're not just indicting Nazis and condemning Nazis. They're not just indicting and condemning Germans. They're indicting and condemning all Europeans, all white people, everywhere, including today, from before the National Socialists came to power in Germany and long after the National Socialists no longer held power in Germany. We're all Nazis to the Jews. The uh, Heretz, uh, I'll link the Heretz article, I'm not going to quote from that. Now the, um, on the other side, so this was, this was the uh, critical reaction to Trump's speech, the, the defensive reaction to Trump's speech against that criticism was very weak, very lame. It was coming from conservatives uh, and conservatives, people who won't even they they basically ignore the racial aspect. They try to downplay it. They downplay the anti-white aspect of it, and they downplay the fact that it's coming from Jews speaking as Jews in defense of what they see as Jewish interests, or from blacks, as blacks, in defense of what they see as black interests. That's the thing about the uh, supposed conservatives, uh, the the uh, people in Trump's party and, and Trump's own defenders, uh, is that they will not defend whites even when whites are attacked because of something that Trump says or does. Instead, what they do is they try to change the subject and make more explicit what Trump only said implicitly. And that is to talk about a quote-unquote Judeo-Christian civilization, to pretend that Jews and Christians created this civilization. And in a way, by saying that, and by putting the Judeo first, they're trying to say, hey, Jews, stop attacking us. We consider you part of our civilization. And it doesn't work. It's not true, first of all, but it doesn't work because the Jews know it's not true. The term Judeo-Christian apparently was uh, first used, uh, at least in a well-known, by a well-known person in a well-known place, by George Orwell in 1939. Okay, right at the beginning of World War II. He referred to the Judeo-Christian scheme of morals. And it has, uh, according to the Wikipedia page on this, it has become a part of, quote, of the, quote, American civil religion, unquote, since the 1940s. So it's a retconning, really, of the, uh, of the idea that uh, Jews and Christians are together against others, against evil. And it's no coincidence that this started, this nonsense, this lie, started in uh, 1939, 1940s, uh, at the beginning of uh, World War II. But the reality is, as I say, it's a lie, but it's it's just a new term 
a euphemism that truncates and distorts what it is describing. This thing that it describes, this uh, Judeo-Christian values, Judeo-Christian civilization, even the West or Western civilization, are all just euphemisms for European civilization. And the civilization and culture of Europeans, its the way to understand it is as a product, as a construct, as an extension of the white race, the European race. It has co-evolved with and it springs from white people, the white gene pool. Uh, Another way of seeing it, which is the same way, just another term for it, is extended phenotype. There's the genotype is the actual genetics. The phenotype is our bodies. The extended phenotype is our culture and our civilization, the things that we create. Different species of people produce different civilizations with different attributes, different natures. Much like different species of birds build different types of nests. And it's instinctive. The creation of those things, to a large extent, just happens in the same way that a bird constructs a nest and doesn't have to be uh, given blueprints to do so, but just does it. They're, it's coded into our genes, how we behave collectively, how we organize, and uh, what kind of civilization we create. Now, human beings are different from birds in that we do actually pass blueprints from one generation to the next. We have language and we have written language. And that has been uh, a hallmark of, uh, of human civilization, is the, these extra layers that we've, our, our extended phenotype has unfolded over the course of the last several thousand years. But I want to make another point, which is that the West, as Beinart says, is understood to extend outside of Europe today exactly because it's an extension of people, because it's a, the root of it, the source of it is the people. And those people have spread to other places. And that's why the West includes places like Canada, the United States, Australia, because those countries were settled and built by the people that we're talking about when we talk about the West or Western civilization or even white. All of those names, all of those labels, like Judeo-Christian, in a sense, are newer than the people themselves that they describe imperfectly. Who are these people? What should we call them? I call them white for shorthand. Everybody knows what white means. People sometimes pretend like they don't. But as you see in an incident like this, the reaction to Trump's speech, you've immediately got people who aren't white, who are against whites, jumping up and down, using the term white as if everybody knows what it means. Because everybody does know what it means. The answer you get from these people when you ask them what they oppose they tell you whiteness is what they oppose. And then you ask them, well, what's whiteness? And they claim that it's a construct. 
Well, who constructs it? White people do. It's a circular argument. It's nonsense, really. But there is a truth to it, which is, as I'm saying, that what white people are, what white people do, comes largely instinctively. And even when whites cuck for whatever reason, for personal gain, uh, or out of ignorance, or out of fear, they can't help but look and act white. And non-whites still hate them, maybe even hate them more for basically trying to pretend that race doesn't matter, that race doesn't exist, that race isn't important. We know from archaeological and ancient genetic evidence that the particular mix of genes that constitute modern-day white people was already a mix that was relatively stable as much as 40,000 years ago in the Stone Age when the Cro-Magnon hunter-gatherers settled what the continent we now call Europe and uh, mostly replaced the Neanderthals that lived there beforehand for hundreds of thousands of years. But certainly this gene pool had stabilized in its final not final, but in its current form, by about 6,000 years ago, when the what uh, anthropologists and paleoanthropologists call the Yamnaya, which is really just another name for the Aryans, um, who were the eastern descendants of these Cro-Magnon hunter-gatherers, when they swept westward into Europe and conquered and interbred with their distant cousins, who were the Western descendants of those Cro-Magnon hunter-gatherers? That's you know basic, the basic history of white people going back at least six thousand years. It predates that group of people genetically. Our culture begins six thousand years ago, or if you want to trace it back farther, you want to be more broad-minded about it. It goes back forty thousand years. But either way, it predates Christianity. It predates the Jews. And until the past century or so, this genetic mix of what we call white people was fairly stable and had only been slightly modified by subsequent invasions of Europe. Not to mention the um, continuing evolution of people. But if you understand this basic history, this basic racial history of white people, then it becomes clearer where the nations of Europe come from, where the different ethnicities within Europe come from, what what the different types of white people are, why we're different from each other, as well as why we're similar, and why we have more in common with someone on the other side of Europe than we do with anyone from Asia or Africa. There's a good point to be made here now, I think, about uh, bottom-up, grassroots culture versus top-down, astroturf culture. What I speak of when I say that civilization and culture spring from 
the people themselves. I'm talking about the bottom-up phenomena, the unconscious, instinctive expression that people create without thinking too consciously about it. The top-down version of that also matters. It is, to a large extent, the elite of a given civilization, a culture, that shape that culture, that determine what the laws are, that enforce those laws, that modulate and moderate communications, that make communications possible, that are the historians, are the linguists, are the specialists in teaching and um, the learned types. And to the extent that that function has been taken over, hijacked by Jews, our culture has, our culture, and I mean white culture, has been Jewed. It has been transformed into something abnormal, something non-white. This culture today, you can see this in through the, uh, just by turning on your TV, you see what the, what uh, Kevin McDonald refers to as the hostile elite, what the Jew version of what they think is good and right comes flowing over that TV. Just turn it on anytime you want. You can see the values that they think are good and right being broadcast to everyone. And what are those values? Well, you can sum it up in some of the slogans that they constantly repeat, the propaganda that they put out. Diversity is our greatest strength. What does diversity mean? It means non-whites, more non-whites, less whites. We must all combat racism and anti-Semitism. Those are the worst evils, racism and anti-Semitism. What's that? Well, racism is whiteness. It's just whites being white. That's what racism is. And so combating that is being anti-white. The, the government promotes the idea that the people and the laws and the juries and the judges and the police must all be combating racism, which means basically combating white behavior. And also at the same time combating anti-Semitism, which means defending the Jews and their behavior. So that whatever the Jews do, if you're critical of it, if you're against it, if you're opposed to it, for whatever reason, that's anti-Semitism and that needs to be combated as well. These are the values of the West, of Donald Trump's the West, that still aren't good enough for people like Beinart or Bowie. So just to sum up here, that you know, civilization and its culture are racial constructs. They're an expression of the people that constitute that civilization and culture who Alex Linder has talked about loxism that's his term for the Jewish hatred for whites the racial hatred that Jews freely express towards whites they haven't always at all times and all places expressed this hatred, but they have pretty much at all times and all places had the hatred within themselves. And just like they disguise the fact that they're Jews often, they often disguise their feelings toward their hosts, towards whites. 
John Murray Cudahy described this uh, in a uh, antiseptic way in The Ordeal of Civility, a very good book. I, I'll have to talk about that in more length sometime. But Cudahy focused on three particular Loxus Jews and, and kind of the pattern of their Loxism. Marx, Freud, and Levi Strauss. And other people since then have uh, talked lots and lots about what's called cultural Marxism, the uh, which you know, basically, to be blunt about it, is the Jewing of European civilization that I mentioned earlier. The um, it, it it's sometimes also described as the deconstruction of Western civilization, Western culture, the replacement really of the European elite. European people, the European leaders, white leaders of white civilization, and their replacement by a Jewed elite, which is hostile to Europeans, hostile to white people, that have a Jewed agenda. And when I say Jewed elite with a Jewed agenda, I mean to say that it's not all Jews. It's Jews mixing with the people who are people who are white but who are have agreed for one reason or another to go along with the Jews and their agenda either because they see Jews as white as as allies as good people or because they're afraid to do otherwise and yet they are ambitious and want power and want fame and want fortune so what was freud's complaint freud uh, wrote a book that he titled Civilization and Its Discontents. And that's what my the title of this podcast is a uh, an allusion to. Uh, I'm just cutting through the bullshit to identify that it is the white race that the Jews are actually discontented with. And it was the white race and its expression of itself that Freud was discontented with. Although he and his psychoanalysis was really just an elaborate guise, uh, a disguise for this hostility of his, for the true nature of it. He was trying to um, make it seem as if he was explaining universal truths about human nature in general. And what he was actually doing, of course, was he was critiquing Europeans and European civilization. He was venting as a Jew against those things. He was juice-plaining that the white social norms alienated him, and he found them psychopathological. He psychopathologized Europeans and, and European norms and explained how they had those norms had to be turned upside down to suit his Jew sensibilities. And he did it all in a typically Jewish way by pretending it had nothing to do with Jews. And it wasn't until decades later when his private communications were revealed with other Jews that it became clear what his motives were, what his thinking was. Probably the most famous example of it was that he imagined himself as Hannibal, the Semitic conqueror of, uh, of Rome, and that he saw Rome as a, as a metaphor for Europe and European power. And he fantasized about that 
specifically as a Jew. Although, like I say, that didn't come out until decades later. And Freud is just one example of this loxism, this historic Jew hostility towards whites. There's Marx, there's Levi-Strauss, there's Franz Boas, there's Herbert Marcuse, there's Susan Sontag, there's Tim Wise, there's Peter Beinart. The list just goes on and on. Jews, as a group, are the seminal source of anti-Western, anti-white critique. That's what's why it's so absurd to call our civilization or the West a Judeo-Christian thing. It isn't. Jews are hostile to it, and they consider... Europeans hostile to Jews. They see themselves as eternal victims and whites as their eternal oppressors. And if you wonder, well, what's happening to whites? This comes up over and over again in the subject matter I deal with. You know, it seems like whites are neurotic or crazy or suicidal. All of that traces back to this constant criticism, this constant psychopathologization, this constant undermining and subversion by Jews who are conscious of themselves as separate and apart from Europeans, as different, as at odds with Europeans, but who disguise that animosity, disguise that hostility when they're not expressing it uh, fairly explicitly. And, And a good example of this Hostility being expressed explicitly comes from Susan Sontag. It's fairly well known, but it's not often quoted in its full context. So I want to, uh, I want to do that. In a nutshell, what she's known for is saying that the white race is the cancer of human history. But let's put that in context. She wrote this in 1966 in answer to a hypothetical question, you know, what's happening in America? This was during the 60s freakout. So the context was the sexual and drug and cultural revolution that was going on in the 1960s, not only in the U.S., but in Europe as well. And Jews were behind that cultural revolution. And she was writing this piece at... Uh, a, an academic journal called the Partisan Review. It was actually uh, a magazine that had been founded decades earlier, uh, just before World War II, by um, two communist Jews. And they were still in control of the journal when Sontag published. So ultimately, uh, it's not only her responsibility that this... Um, hostility of hers was expressed, but also theirs. So the longer context of her quote about uh, calling whites cancer of human history, let's, let's get into this. She writes, If America is the culmination of Western white civilization, as everyone from left to right declares, then there must be something terribly wrong with Western white civilization. That was uh, Freud's point as well, 50 years earlier. This is a painful truth 
Few of us want to go that far. It's easier, much easier, to accuse the kids, to reproach them for being, quote, non-participants in the past, unquote, and, quote, dropouts from history, unquote. But it isn't real history. Fielder is referring to with such solicitude. She's uh, talking about some other uh, Jew, I think, uh, and they're with something they had to say. It's just our history. She's just using that other fielder as a as a uh, jumping off point for her own hostility that she wants to express towards whites. It's just our history, which he claims is identical with, quote, the tradition of the human, unquote, the tradition of the, quote, reason, unquote, itself, the tradition of reason itself. Of course, it's hard to assess life on this planet from a genuinely world historical perspective. The effort induces vertigo and seems like an invitation to suicide. But from a world historical perspective, that local history that some young people are repudiating, uh, parenthetically, she writes, with their fondness for dirty words, their peyote, their macrobiotic rice, their Dadaist art, etc., looks like a good deal less pleasing and less self-evidently worthy of perpetuation. The truth is that Mozart, and this is also um, usually the longer context that the cancer statement is given, the truth is that Mozart, Pascal, Boolean algebra, Shakespeare, parliamentary government, Baroque churches, Newton, the emancipation of women, Kant, Marx, Balanchine, ballets, et al., don't redeem what this particular civilization has wrought upon the world. The white race is the cancer of human history. It is the white race and it alone, its ideologies and inventions, which eradicates autonomous civilizations wherever it spreads, which has upset the ecological balance of the planet, which now threatens the very existence of life itself. What the Mongol hordes threaten is far less frightening than the damage that Western, quote, Faustian, unquote, man, with his idealism, his magnificent art, his sense of intellectual adventure, his world-devouring energies for conquest, has already done and further threatens to do. So she added all of that extra context just so know that nobody would be mistaken about who she was talking about and what she was talking about. She was talking about the people of the West. She was talking about the white race. That's why she says explicitly the white race is the cancer of human history and then elaborates on it to make sure that you understand that she's not forgetting to consider the contributions of Mozart, Pascal, and etc. As I said, the context of this statement too was in defense of the 60s freakout being led by Jews. The kids that were being criticized at the time for being dirty and using drugs and all the other ways that they were criticized were Jews and Jude. Their minds were Jude. They were rebelling against what remained of white control over our own culture, over our own civilization. And Sontag was defending their assault on white civilization, white culture. White Sontag explicitly equated the West, 
quote-unquote the West, to whites, just like Beinart still does, just like all the Jew critics today still do. Even though the conservative white pundits and politicians are running away from race, are running away from their whiteness, the Jews aren't running away from it and haven't been. They've been expressing this kind of hatred for whites for decades. And she concludes her piece, just for a little bit more context here, she concludes it by distinguishing Jews from whites. She writes, One last comparison, which I hope won't seem far-fetched. The Jews left the ghetto in the early 19th century, thus become a people doomed to disappear. But one of the byproducts of their fatal absorption into the modern world was an incredible burst of creativity in the arts, science, and secular scholarship, the relocation of powerful but frustrated spiritual energy. These innovating artists and intellectuals were not alienated Jews, as is said so often, but people who were alienated as Jews. So this was a thinly veiled admission of her own alienation as a Jew and her hostility that that this is where her hostility towards whites comes from as a Jew what she's saying is don't blame the Jews don't call the Jews the cancer of human history we're trying to kill this alien white cancer those were Sontag's words written in 1967 They were buried in some leftist journal and they went almost unnoticed and definitely completely unpunished. There were no negative consequences that I've been able to find for Sontag or her commie Jew comrade publishers. None of the people in that journal condemned her for what she wrote or even criticized her for it, as far as I can tell. The white race had really lost control of our culture already by that point. It was actually, uh, if not centuries earlier. Although, even to this day, some people continue to delude themselves that whites are in control. And th- there's no wonder for that. I mean, when you've got the Jews media screeching at the top of their lungs that there's a neo-Nazi, white supremacist, white nationalist in the White House, surrounded by other neo-Nazi white supremacists, and that this is a white supremacist, uh, anti-black, anti-Jewish society and civilization. Well, you know, people, at least some people, take that at face value and believe it. They hear it often enough, they they start to believe it. Trump's speech in Poland triggered a similar but much more public expression of the same sort of loxism that we've seen from Freud, that we've seen from Sontag and the rest. The survival of the white race is threatened, and whites are concerned about it. That's why that kind of a speech appeals, not just to the Poles, but to white Americans. And even if it's only unconsciously, even if whites fear to acknowledge why it is They like speeches like that. The Jews, on the other hand, are hyper-conscious and 
totally unapologetic about their concern for their own survival as a people. And they understand much better than whites do what's going on, what Trump was appealing to, what he was talking about, and why it's important. And that's why they reacted the way they did. That's why a Jew like Miller is able to write such a speech to appeal to these white instincts for survival. And that's why Jews like Beinart sneer and hiss and screech in response. Don't waste your time wondering who is really behind the curtains now. Europe has not yet learned how to be multicultural. Jews are going to be at the center of that. It's a huge transformation for Europe to make. They are now going into a multicultural mode, and Jews will be resented because of our leading role. But without that leading role and without that transformation, Europe will not survive. Europe will not survive. Europe will not survive. Don't waste your time wondering who is really behind the curtains now. Don't waste your time.